0: hi everyone welcome to data engineering weekly radio uh, ashwin here with me uh, this is anand um, editor of data engineering weekly so uh, we started this as an experiment we wanted to kind of um, you know uh, share more than what we kind of sharing in the data engineering weekly newsletter right? we wanted to kind of analyzing some of the articles that comes in um, trying to share the author's perspective and try to uh, you know see what what is the bigger picture along with that? And at some point of a time, we're really hoping to you know bring those authors uh, to our conversation uh, and to get more behind the scene uh, insights about why do this, why do the systems come into place? You know, what are, what are the business problems they're solving, so that it'll be very educative for personally for me uh, and Ashwin, and hopefully for you also. So with that, the edition that we are going to discuss today is Data Engineering Weekly edition 119 so um I know we are like at about two weeks off from that but like this is something that uh we've been trying retrying all the time hey this is the first time there's always something a lot of things to improve um so let's jump on Hey, Ashwin, you want to introduce yourself hey everyone hello uh,
1: subscribers of the data engineering weekly uh, and welcome to this podcast I'm happy to be on this show with Anand uh sharing my perspectives and takes from uh the author's viewpoints and also some of my takes from the industry as well uh, and i think weekly 109 and 1120 and all of that i think that anand is going to publish every week he brings in a new flavor uh, data engineering weekly has definitely been very helpful for me it's like a consolidated list of articles that any data engineer should not miss uh and i think uh, the the podcast and this radio show is basically uh, going to accelerate your consumption right that's the goal right so uh, excited to be here with anand sharing perspectives and also going through some of the very important topics that we feel are relevant um, to to summarize to also highlight uh, through this podcast
0: awesome thank you so much for kind words Ashwin. Let's, let's jump on our first topic of the weekly edition one one nine, um, is scaling media machine learning at Netflix. So Netflix essentially, um, um, you know, Netflix writes about media machine learning infrastructure, and and especially for the media focused infrastructure. That's, that's a key highlighted point. Right? um the the key focus here is um, bring data specific to the media assets, and then this field of feature store around that. Um. I think this is a very interesting um, article. Um, the authors kind of trying to uh, emphasize like why there is a need for a specialized media domain or a specialized media in a machine learning infrastructure required for Netflix. You know, Netflix as a media company enormously um, and an, uh, you know innovators pay innovator in this adopting machine learning into their business workflow. So this is a very interesting blog post to read that.
1: Yeah, I think and, uh, a lovely perspective, Ananth. I think uh, I think uh, taking one or two highlights from the last sentence you made, I think specialized media focus. Uh, I think it also comes from an era where we have a lot of general purpose machine learning platforms coming up. Uh, but then this looks very specialized, is not it?
0: Yeah, totally. I think this is something that very interesting to me is essentially, you know, like when when the when the Netflix recommendation engine um, came out and it was like that a word of the go out the street, is like, okay, recommendation engine, every business should have a recommendation engine. And uh, there's a whole bunch of, uh, you know, plug and play recommendation engine, companies available, uh, born out of it, right? If you are a New York Times, you just plug into your, my plugin, and it will start recommending your article without doing that one. It's kind of commodizing the recommendation engine. And i see seen the pattern, there is a lot of specialized recommendations engine for each and every domain. There's one for a media domain, there's one for e-commerce, and then it gone like we just end up in like a more of a generalized model here. Uh, I'm not sure like is it still there? I mean, yeah. We just don't we just don't see that. Uh, like probably they make more money there. I don't know. Right?
1: <laughs> yeah. This also lines up with what I am hearing from Snowflake. I think the last couple of weeks, whatever announcements Snowflake AWS they all been making. They all are talking about industry specific models, industry specific. I think uh, probably that's how the world is projecting towards uh no idea but then just an observation right I think uh coming back to this blog itself which has been written by several people I think uh this blog basically talks about some of the unique challenges and options that has been faced by ml folks in the media domain uh right so they they do share some of the best practices uh, around what they did how they approached this particular problem statement as well Anand, don't want to quickly highlight some of the key, yeah. key things on the blog
0: yeah some of the things are kind of very specific to media domain. they're kind of trending about like you know hey how do they handle the decoding the performance uh, of of those uh, um, uh, the media formats and the size and the metadata associated with that like you know capturing a rich metadata specific to the media domain uh and uh, I think that's kind of a very interesting um interesting aspect and also they talked about like the whole media infrastructure has been widely used across the like same um, feature store, been used across multiple media uh, applications on the on ML front. So It's kind of like re- promoting the reusability and promoting the saving the cost associated with that, not to recompute the same uh, metrics or features over, the, over and over again. I think that the reusability uh, is something and reusability, uh, saving the cost, domain-specific, it's kind of a resonating very well with
1: me. Yeah. And I think uh, they also cover some of the tech tools that they've used and the options that they have evaluated and the options that are available for uh, media ML practitioners uh, to understand their choices and how they've gone about it. Right. So that's that's amazingly uh, well documented here. Yeah. So I think I love I love how the blog has turned up. The options for feature store that they did order mail and all of that, so I think uh, great, great great highlights there,
0: yeah, yeah, I, I think the key takeaway out of this blog is like is really the question to back to the, the, the ml folks and industry so, like um are you building a specialized uh, like specialized ml platform for your domain or you are, going, are you are you utilizing a general purpose? ML platform, and then you're building your domain-specific model there. And is your company operating in multiple domains? Like Netflix cases, like there's an e-commerce aspect of it, there is a media aspect of it, the production media production aspect of it is that if you take in any e-commerce company, there's a supply chain aspect, there is a there's a consumer aspect of it. Do you see a specialized machine learning more you know, infrastructure coming around uh, in your company? So if you uh, you know, if uh, um if you come across any interesting case like please feel free to come at us in the podcast we'll have to hear your thoughts on that uh,
1: yeah that's great yeah perfect uh i think that's that's pretty much it i think i would strongly recommend folks to go through the blog it's it's very interesting uh, even if you are coming from a pure data engineering background to understand uh, how you see convergence happening uh, in terms of domain models and all of that in a data product world uh this this is going to be a very thin line between ml and data engineering so I think it's definitely a good read irrespective respect of what uh, or with what's your role in the data world so strongly yeah recommend yeah
0: that. yeah definitely I think I think domain specific metric like features for reusability it all sounds like me a data Mart so
1: yeah
0: you know, data, data Mart data Mart for ML ML infrastructure. so it's yes. really interesting moving on to the next next topic right so um the another interesting uh uh, another interesting uh, blog post came um, from Redanami, uh from Alex Rudy, um, And um, it's about open table format square offs in Lakehouse Data Smackdown. That's a very, very interesting title of the uh, title of a blog. Uh, but it's a very interesting blog also. The blog essentially talks about what are the various open table for like, you know, Lakehouse formats available. So if you're taking look in the market, there's like three, um three major players um, um apache hoodie came out of uber uh you know one house is now behind uh, apache hoodie uh, making a lot of uh, interesting choice a uh, lot of lot of Lagos um architecture evolution i would really credit to apache hoodie in, in many ways um, and then um iceberg came out of netflix and there's like several companies around iceberg right now and then there's Delta Lake, they came came out of DataBricks, largely focusing on DataBricks ecosystems, giving a very integrated ecosystem. Um, so, uh, why why open table formats became popular? That's something of an interesting question. There, um, what do you think, Ashwin, on that?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, I think the blog that we're also referring to is very, very interesting, uh, right comes from Alex Woody. And I think he's kind of summarized uh, how you need to think about when you're evaluating the choices between Delta, iceberg, mm-hmm. as well as hoodie. Uh, I think uh, he also covers some of the challenges very clearly. But I think from a general industry observation perspective, if you look at it, see, we we had the warehouses which were taken over by data lakes uh, mm-hmm. from 2014 until 19 uh, 18 onwards the cloud warehouse momentum started gaining speed so when i say cloud warehouses snowflake really started changing the spectrum yeah while there was redshift and bigquery right so uh, mm-hmm. with cloud warehouses becoming very popular you saw a convergence of use cases that were happening in parallel in most of the enterprises uh, there was a SQL-style workload happening on your warehouses, and the traditional lake-based where SQL happening through Hive metastore and Hive uh, on on top of your data lakes, and that uh both the platforms had had to convert some more and that's where it, it came to this whole new world of uh data lake houses right so you're combining uh the acid properties of a warehouse and combining that with the flexibility and the scalability that comes with your data lakes uh now obviously hive and hive metastore had its own set of limitations and uh it was not able to cater to all the required uh, properties of acidity and properties of uh scalability particularly to do with metadata also uh when it comes to data lake house based implementations right so again as you know where it had its own limitations around the type of use cases and lake house were covering so but then uh, you you needed to bridge the gap and that is the primary driver behind uh, the lake houses uh and hives uh limitations around metadata governance Hive's limitations around uh the whole flexibility was was definitely a, a real reason why lake houses are becoming uh very popular and i think the options uh, for the customer with the lake houses uh are, are are splendid i think uh it also uh lake houses are also enabling the best practices of both the platforms in one bundle so i think that's the power that customers are going to realize in a lake house
0: yeah totally i think i think it will be interesting to see like when like the, i i feel like the data warehouse lakes lines are almost blurred and it's yeah. a matter of time before it's just like you know all the all the usability aspect of Snowflake coming to this any data lake houses there. Correct. Uh, I think that's a very
1: interesting aspect of it. Yeah, I think Snowflake pushed the uh, iceberg storyline right. So they are now they, they they know they do support Apache I, iceberg. Uh, anyway, data bricks pushed up Delta Lake, and the, that was like a big turnaround for uh, data bricks as well, uh, mm-hmm. which was traditionally ML AI kind of a platform. And targeting that user persona is now trickling down to heavy data engineering and, and regular analytical workload uh, with Delta Lake. So I think uh, I think that convergence is is important. Uh and I think we we saw that coming and it is happening right now. So I think uh the biggest challenge, I think, and that's what the author conveys also is is the choice that we have in front of us, right? So you've got QD, yeah. you've got totally. iceberg, you've got Delta. Now, yeah. how do we go about it, right? And What's your yeah. take on it, Anand?
0: Yeah, I think I completely agree with the author' take, right? now. in this case, like that's what sort reflect my experience also. Like, I mean, what the author essentially says that, you know, okay, we have these choices, and then he essentially, the author essentially says that, uh, you know, though these features are really, you know, capabilities, technical capabilities of Iceberg, Delta, Table, and Curi are fairly equal, uh, and you know, there is slight variation. I'm sure these tools will catch up one way or other. Uh, I think it's. Uh, he also highlighted a lot of. It's. It's also dependence on the, and the users and the vendor community. That's also going to play a major role here. And the other giveaway recommendation essentially says that hey, uh, if you are looking for a full featured, more real time, uh, lakehouse model, full featured, more real time, go with Apache Hudi. Uh, I think there's a lot of lot of truth in it. Like I mean. If you go back to the origin story of some of the systems, Apache Hudi came out to be kind of solving those real-time CDC use cases, trying to get out of it from Uber, right? So the system is kind of well designed to handle that kind of such kind of a, a load. Um, and um, if you are a very Spark oriented person, I think, and if you are already in Databricks ecosystem, the choice is very, very obvious. I don't know. I no one can going to disagree with that. I think the tightly kind of vertically integrated vendors gonna be supporting their own ecosystem pretty well than the rest of the ecosystems. And um, the last one um, the author recommends is if you're looking for something with a strong credential and being multi-vendor support, go with Iceberg. Uh, I think yeah. um, that's a very fair recommendation in my yeah.
1: opinion. I think so as well I think in my point of view I think you also kind of uh stressed on that I think if you compare all three on full features everything kind of has a lot more similar uh, features and I'll say every, everybody has their fair equal strengths uh and a choice and and what has been covered as part of features by Alex Woody in his blog is is amazing and I would strongly recommend you go through the blog Uh, and we will not steal the thunder out of alex woody as well Uh, but then what's important for you to also think about is the vendor uh, or the cloud distribution that you are operating on and most cloud providers today have started to embrace at least one or two of them uh uh right so most of them support read but then even on the right side they're they're starting to support multi-vendor so that's that's amazing uh which which talks about the openness of of the platforms that is going to happen in the future uh we you would be able to probably build it in one and then uh, be able to leverage cross platform and all of that so interesting times ahead
0: yeah, totally. Especially like, you know, cloud vendors, like for example, uh, AWS support Apache CUDE and Iceberg and all those systems, right? All of the box supporting the EMR has to fine tune for Apache 2D and all sorts of things. So, definitely, I think the key takeaway is here like, what, what is what is it for you? Like, what does your ecosystems look like? Um, regardless of what tool that you are choosing, if you are just using a blind old um, data lake with your, with your, with your maybe Parquet format or any other format, I highly recommend to switch over to any one of those um, uh, formats it gives you much efficient access and saves a lot of tons of cost for you
1: correct yeah perfect awesome. perfect moving on okay
0: the the last topic for today uh there's one of the things that's very interesting I think, I think everyone talking about it is building yeah. a semantic layer see building a semantic layer and then the author talked about how they go ahead and build semantic layer in preset preset is the, the commercial version of a superset as a bi tool uh with dbt uh it's kind of a very interesting um a- era and this block force is kind of rightly came and kind of you know there's a whole conversations around okay we have this um looker has a look ml the bi and semantic is kind of embedded within within the bi and there's a whole lot of other communities kind of arguing it should be outside of it so that you can business logic might be much more easy to scale scale you know shareable um so dbt recently acquired transform they are kind of working on building those whole semantic layer on top of it and so this is a very interesting era uh of of the whole semantic uh, layer um so yeah so
1: and I, I think right. I, I like this blog as well uh, particularly uh for the fact that a peer basically discusses uh, how he built the semantic layer in superset and kind of integrated that with the open source version of dbt uh, mm-hmm. but i would also like to reference david's blog uh here as well i think i I'm, I'm super excited about what david wrote in one of his blogs right so he calls it as the metric calypse. Uh, mm-hmm. and the era of metric ellipse, uh, stressing yeah. on the fact that uh, metric layer is getting all the momentum, it's getting popular, that's one part, uh, as Anand highlighted, dbt picked up transform to accelerate their build over the metrics layer. Uh, now, I think if you take two steps backward and understand what a metric layer is, if you have multiple bi systems if you have multiple analytical consumption points uh, the metric layer kind of standardizes uh, the metric instead of people having to recompute it and redo it all over again the metric layer essentially uh, allows you to build ones and kind of reuse across. Uh, it's a, kind of what we did in the OLAP world, but a lot more sophisticated than that. And the semantic layer um, uh, is, is 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 a superset of the metric layer, helping you to uh, to consolidate all the business uh metadata and add semantics to it, so that business users find it easy to consume the metrics as well as the data that uh, uh, that 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 forms uh the different uh metrics as well so I think uh, fantastic space uh, fantastic opportunity if you are rebuilding of you're building your uh, BI layer and if you happen to have multiple BI systems and or if you're recomputing lift metrics uh definitely a great starting point if you are in the DVD world this blog basically talks about how you basically go ahead goes again yeah uh, implementing yeah. this uh right. yeah. so, anand what's your yeah. take on how we have gone
0: uh yeah totally I think uh, the blog came from uh Plum Living and then the author's kind of highlighting uh how they kind of integrated dbt and uh, um uh, preset um it's kind of very interesting to me they've got a very simple two-step approach right one is like okay whenever a developer pushes a new metric definition to dbt uh they take their metric definition from a dbt and pushes the uh, updated the metric definition of preset so you have two places where the metric definition sync, there's write a simple sync transpiler converting from one part to another part. And um, and also like whenever a developer updated a new table schema and you know, dbt compile that whatever the code that it and you'll get the compile code there. Um, and uh, they automatically update the preset data set definitions. So, what they really build a very really interesting bridge between the dbt and preset. Automatically syncing the metadata from both the data from one from DBT to Preset. I think what it allowed them uh, to define metric schema by code. I think that's a very very interesting point they made. You can define the metrics, you can define the schema by code, and you can always sync with Preset, or you can sync with any any um, uh, you know BI tool with this approach, and uh, it, it allowed it, it allowed them to kind of expose selected set of datasets. To the users, and then they keep it, keep the freshness, and and all, uh, you know, um, any other utility tables that we are exposing. That it's kind of eliminating a lot. So what they do here is like, okay, this particular data set is interesting for me to expose to the BI tool. I don't want to, to expose my entire uh, data warehouse table. Uh, so people go ahead and define your metrics. People, you know, define your uh, table schema. I will selectively update the data set back to preset so that I can curate and then uh, update, update uh, selected information to the bi so I don't really confuse users and I really deliver a certified tables there I think that's a very very excellent um you know approach what do you think yeah.
1: no I think uh I would say Great approach, and also this blog basically goes in a little bit more detail. I think uh, I would. I think we should we should give you the link in case you don't have it handy. Where uh, Pierre works all of these things with examples on how he is uh, achieved that, including uh, the YAML configurations that he has done uh, to do that as well. Right, so I think uh, almost everything is well documented uh for you to follow uh and and take this uh, into the next steps as well right so hey. uh great blog uh and I think uh where he talks about how both of these platforms get integrated uh but also keep your eyes open around what's happening around uh and years as well uh, uh open about what's happening in the world of the metric layer and the semantic mm-hmm. layer a lot of great innovations and I think Anand would cover more on on and keep us posted in his weekly.
0: Yeah, totally. Uh, we'll we'll talk more on that. And so that that's it for us today for this uh, Data Engineering Weekly Radio for edition one one nine. We'll be soon catching up with you one twenty. We have a lot of catch ups to do that, and we'll soon be back.
1: Thank you, everyone. Have a wonderful okay. day ahead. Thank you. Bye. Bye.